Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello there, plant people. Hi, plant friends. I'm almost afraid to ask, but how are you guys doing? everybody kind of hanging in? I mean, probably all right physically, but how about emotionally? This summer is so hard. It is so, so hot. This heat is draining and I'm just exhausted. And I know, I know. Yes, it's Central Texas. It's July. It's supposed to be hot. It's totally expected. I mean, it's summertime. I've lived here long enough to be okay with that. I like summer. I am really okay. It's supposed to be hot in the summertime, but really this is nuts. It is like crazy inferno hot. It's relentless. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed and I'm so hopeful that I will be able to keep my garden alive. But I'm worried though. This heat does not seem to want to end. And even though I've done a pretty good job of keeping my plants watered, I'm just wondering if it's really helping. It's just so hot. I'm like, is it just evaporating and not doing much good? I don't know. I don't want to second guess myself because I really am an optimistic gardener and I'm just going to keep trying. I move some pots around so they don't get um, quite as much sun. Um, I've put up some shade to protect parts of the garden um, from the brutal afternoon sun. I cut my tomatoes back. They were looking pretty terrible and they weren't producing anyway. So I cut them back in hopes of taking advantage of their super established root systems that gave me so many tomatoes in um, early summer. And I'm hoping that I might be able to take advantage of their root systems and maybe get some more tomatoes in the fall. Now, it's been two weeks now since I cut them back and they've surprised me already. They are responding. I've noticed some new growth on them and even one plant has started blooming and I noticed a little tiny green tomato on it. And I was just really surprised by that because this heat is stupid, it's mean. but it just goes to show you how plants with a strong, healthy root system, they're able to recover from stresses that affect the top parts of the plants. Now, only time is gonna tell if I get more tomatoes to pick in the fall from these plants, but right now I am all in because I have kept these plants alive so far, so I might as well just keep nursing them along. But dang, this heat, even with my really attentive watering, 
it's affecting the heat-loving plants in my garden. I mean, the peppers, they love the heat. I mean, they're, they're producing just barely. And the fruits that I'm getting are, are tiny. They're so small um, compared to what I was picking earlier. I'm seeing lots of flowers on my lima beans. The vines look really, really great. They're super happy and they're climbing up the bean towers. They are leafy and they're green and they're putting out lots of cream colored flowers, but not any bean pods, not even one, no bean pods at all. And it's this heat y'all. It's not only you know, these crazy daytime temperatures, but it's also the, the nighttime temperatures. They're so high at night. It doesn't really cool off. And anytime that you have temperatures during the day that are, you know, higher than 95 degrees plus nighttime temperatures over 75 degrees, plants don't like it. They just are not going to set fruit. And it, it doesn't matter that they have lots of flowers. And that's because part of the problem is, it has to do with fertility. Um, the heat affects pollen viability, and it can also um, dry out the delicate reproductive parts of flowers. Another part has to do with um, pollination and getting pollinated. Some pollinators are, are just not really active when it's this hot. You just don't see as many when, you know, when it's so hot. Um, with this crazy heat and the lack of the rain, you know, degrading pollen and fewer pollinators, it's a tough time to be a plant. Well, thank God for okra. Without okra, I might just give up on gardening this time of year. I freaking love okra. It's the best part of summer gardening. It might be the best part of summer, actually. It's my favorite thing to grow. It's delicious. It never lets me down. Even in all this heat. I've been picking at least four pods a day, but usually more. But... Here this past week, I've had kind of an issue with ants crawling all over the okra blossoms. I have okra in two spots in my garden. One plant has had way more ants than the other plants, um, but they all had a few. Ants normally stay pretty close to the ground. Back in April, I, had, I also had an issue with ants uh, crawling all over my strawberries, and I thought about that and I wondered if I had the same problems. Um, I had aphids on my strawberries and the ants were attracted to them and sure enough I had some aphids on my okra. Some ants have a strange symbiotic relationship with aphids. Aphids are sucking bugs. They use their mouse parts to suck juices from plants and since they eat a lot they poop a lot 
the plant juices are really high in sugars, way more than the insects can process. So what they don't use, they excrete out. And that sweet, sticky substance is called honeydew. So basically, honeydew is bug pee. Sticky, sweet bug pee. And these weirdo ants are attracted to the sugar in the aphid honeydew. They like it so much that the ants will actually protect aphids from other predators so that they can eat the honeydew. But even more fascinating about this weird relationship is the ants will herd the aphids to the juiciest parts and the most tender parts of a plant. So the aphids will just gorge themselves on the most tender parts. And then the ants will massage the aphids so that they will excrete the honeydew so they can eat it. Okay, so normally I, um, I would have mixed up some insecticidal soap and sprayed the plants to treat the aphids and get rid of both the aphids and the ants. But I just squirted the okra with the hose to knock off the ants and just pick the okra. But I probably should have used the insecticidal soap since I've picked a dozen or so of these curled up okra pods just kind of gnarly looking regular normal okra pods are supposed to be straight not curved or hooked in any sort of way so anytime that you have like a really odd shaped pod then that's a good sign that you have issues with bugs sucking insects like aphids but also stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs are the primary culprits both leaf-footed bugs and stink bugs have these needle-like pointy mouth parts and they use them to pierce the okra buds and the pods. They suck out sap and juices from the okra and I guess they're like saliva-like chemicals in their mouth. Um, they kind of inject that and causes the cells in that part of the pod to stop growing. The rest of the pod will keep growing though, and what happens is the pod will start to curl. They'll also get little bumps or warts wherever the bug kind of pierced into the pod, so it kind of has like a pimply look. But even though they look kind of weird, you can still eat them, it's, it's fine. Okra is such a great plant. It does so well in our part of Central Texas. So if you are looking for more plants that can take the heat, check out the mallow family. Mallows include okra, cotton, Turk's cap, roselle, rose of Sharon, hibiscus, and rock rose. They all have similar blossoms with petals that um, look a whole lot like cray paper. Mallows do really well in Texas and they just love our hot summers. Mallows are perennials. They die back when it gets too cold, but they return when it warms, um, warms up in the spring. 
mallows thrive with little care and many of them do really well with little water. Turk's calf is one that is very drought tolerant and I can personally attest to this. It is super, super tough. I have some here at my house and we don't water them and they are doing pretty well for not getting any extra water this year. Like most plants, they do do better when they get some rain, but this year they still have lots of little red flowers, even if the plants aren't as large as previous years. Now my Turks caps are well established, which is likely why they're doing so well this year in spite of the lack of rain. I honestly don't know how old they are because they were here when we moved in more than 16 years ago. Back then, I wasn't a real big fan of them, and I actually dug them up because I wanted a different color scheme in those beds back then. Um, well, actually, um, I tried to dig them up, but the next year they started coming back, and they have been there ever since. You know, I figured that they just really, really wanted to be there, so I let them be. And now I'm really glad because the hummingbirds just love those plants. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like it and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and sub- subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please leave a review. It's so easy. Click on the stars. It helps others find the show and it lets people know that Plow and Hose is a pretty good show. Plus, it's really important for the show's statistics. So if you've already done that, thank you so much. If you haven't, please go do that. (laughs) Okay. Another mallow that I'd like to recommend is rock rose. Rock rose is one of those plants that has a, like, I don't know, a billion different names. It's also called, um, pavonia mallow, rose mallow, rose pavonia, Texas Mallow, Texas Pavonia, Wright's Pavonia. I don't know. I just call it Rock Rose. Pavonia is part of its botanical name, but Rock Rose really suits it since it's native to the Texas Hill Country where it grows in that thin rocky soil that they have over there. Please don't ask me why somebody called it rose because it doesn't look anything like a rose to me. The flowers look exactly like its mallow cousin, hibiscus. It looks just like a hibiscus flower. Just like regular hibiscus, rock rose is really showy. It puts out lots and lots and lots of blooms all from springtime through the hot summer, all the way through until the first frost. It's also um, an herbaceous perennial, so it will die back to the ground each year when it gets cold. 
but the roots are still alive and it will come back the next year when it warms up. Rock Rose puts out smaller flowers. Um, they're like two inches, about this, two inches across, but they have this pretty spectacular shade of neon pink. It's like 1980s electric pink. Let me tell you, there's this rock rose growing um, in a yard. It's on my running route, and it is totally amazing. It practically glows in the daytime, at nighttime. It's beautiful. It is so great. I love that plant. And I love it. It has kind of like this shaggy look. It only gets to be about two to three feet tall. Um, if it, if it's in a really, really happy spot, it might get to be four feet tall, but it's really not a massive plant. The more fertile the soil is, the better it's going to grow, but it still does really well in poor soil. It blooms the best in full sun, but it will tolerate some shade. You're just not going to get as many flowers as if it, if it was in full sun. The leaves on this plant are medium to like dark green, and they have a little bit of fuzz. So at certain times of the day, they're going to catch the light and they're going to look a little bit velvety. You can grow rock rose in a container or you can put them in the ground. Since they're native to the hill country, they really like that rocky soil. So they need to be in well-draining soil. If you have black heavy clay like we do here in Taylor, you have to amend your soil with lots of compost before you plant rock rose directly in the ground. Once they get established, rock rose is really great. It grows, actually it grows really well everywhere in Texas, not just Central Texas. And because it does, it's one of the Texas superstar plants. Now. This is a program, a Texas Superstar program. It was developed by Texas A&M in their AgriLife um, research program. The program tests plants like really rigorously for several years, and only the most impressive and the best performing plants get designated as a superstar plant. They have field trials like in different locations all over the state of Texas and they are just planted in the ground and they don't do anything special to the soil. They hardly prep it at all. They give it just an average amount of water. They don't treat it with any sort of pesticide and only the very best looking plants and the toughest plants get selected to be a superstar plant. And there's only 60 of them. So if you want to learn more about Texas Superstar plants, you can go over to their website. It's texassuperstar.com. And you can go learn about Rock Rose over there and all the other ones. I grow a similar mallow here at my house. It's also a pavonia. Um, it's also called Rock Rose. But the one I have is referred to as pale rock rose. It's Pavonia hestata. 
It also has a billion other names like Spearleaf, Swamp Mallow, or Texas Rose Mallow. And oddly, it's also called Brazilian Rock Rose. I don't know what's up with that. But the main thing that you need to know about this one is that it's also a really great plant. It doesn't have that Texas Superstar designation, but it's a great plant for Central Texas. The pale rock rose, as you might have guessed, is pale. It has light pink flowers that have a gorgeous burgundy eye right in the center. The petals are so nice and delicate. They're like tissue paper and they have pink veining all through them. I think they are just so lovely. They're very pretty. This pavonia gets a little bit larger than the, the hot pink one. It can get up to four feet and it has these really nice thin spear shaped leaves. This plant loves the sun and it blooms like crazy and it'll even bloom if it has a little bit of shade. Um, the hummingbirds and the butterflies really love this plant too. The pale rock rose is just as drought tolerant as the hot pink one, but it's also slightly more cold tolerant too. So that's good in case we get a cold snap. In years that we have a warmer winter when the temperatures are consistently mild, um, the pale rock rose will stay evergreen and won't die back. In regular, normal years, when the winters are, you know, we follow the same temperature pattern, it will die back with the frost, but it, it'll come back in the spring. I really love my pale rock rose. Um, I actually got it in San Antonio. I bought it at the botanical gardens there. They have like a little nursery section just outside their gift shop. And um, I've never seen it for sale locally, you know, not in Austin or Williamson County. Um, at least I never noticed it. Now, the hot pink one, um, the hot pink rock rose is much easier to find. Um, it's very common. Um, if you can't find the pale one, look, you can try to order seeds online and try to propagate it that way. But I do recommend both the pale and the hot pink Pavonia rock roses because they are really, really great plants. They are so tough and drought tolerant and really pretty. If you are interested in xeric landscaping, rock rose, both varieties are excellent choices. You know... We are barely halfway through the calendar summer and the temperatures have just been vicious. Texas summer, of course, starts earlier and it ends later. And we are really, really close to being um, in extreme, extreme drought. The record heat plus the super dry conditions in central Texas. I mean, it's really, really hard on our landscapes. And, you know, I think that we need to start doing a better job of being water wise and taking care of our surroundings. I mean, for sure, we, you know, protecting the environment is a huge global issue. Um, it's, you know, difficult to think about and we're not going to solve that, you know, individually, but there are plenty of things that we can do in our own backyards 
to be, you know, a little more eco-friendly. Plant selection and better watering habits are things that we can do. I mean, garden can be a very expensive hobby, and most of us don't want our plants to die. So if you have been wanting to incorporate more drought-tolerant plants or learn more about xeriscaping, check out episode 58 of the Plow and Hose podcast. Just go wherever you find, wherever you listen to podcasts, and look up that one. All right, I can't really decide how I feel about July. On one hand, it seems like it just flew by because, mainly because it's a birthday month for our family. I mean, three of our kids have birthdays all in the same week, and we just go from one birthday party right after another. Plus, I've been um, super busy with just trying to keep my garden alive, and this is going to sound silly, but... Um, keeping up with the okra and picking it and processing it (laughs) keeps me pretty busy too. But also on the other hand, it seems like it's taking forever to get through July. And I think it's because it's so damn hot. And it feels like we're never, ever going to be done with the heat. And it's not even August yet. And somebody at work pointed out that we have an entire week of July left. And when he told me that, I was just like, oh my God. And I was just so disgusted by that. I really don't know what's wrong with me. I guess I'm a little, my brain is cooked or something. I don't know. (laughs) But if your plants out in your garden aren't looking good and they're not productive Maybe just pull them out and make room for a fall garden. You know, here in Central Texas, fall gardens are planted now, planted late July through early August. This planting window is one last opportunity for a round of summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, okra, peppers, tomatoes, and squash. Beans and corn prefer to be planted from seed right exactly where they're going to be grown. They don't like to be transplanted. And if you want to plant those, you can put those in the ground in early August. Just plant them right out in your garden. Tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and squash, they don't mind being transplanted. So you can um, get some transplants and start them inside, move them out. later but as you are cleaning out your beds be sure to add an inch or two of fresh compost refreshing your beds with compost between growing seasons is very important especially now because summer crops tend to be very heavy feeders and with the heat and growing very fast it just wipes out all the nutrients in your soil so fresh compost gives fresh nutrients to your soil and compost also helps your soil retain moisture now in this like short little period while your beds are inactive you might consider improving the way you water your beds 
drip irrigation systems are customizable and they really make watering highly, highly efficient. They are usually a lot less expensive than a traditional sprinkler system, especially if you're kind of handy and you don't mind installing a system yourself. Drip irrigation is great because it delivers water directly to the base of your plants, just drop by drop, and they do it right by the root zone. So there's a whole lot less evaporation than sprinkled or sprayed water. And you can set your drip irrigation. You can set them up with timers and you can water for the perfect amount of time. Plus, if you get a little more sophisticated system, you can customize them by zones and you can water them. You know, this area gets this much water, this one gets this one. It, they're really, they can be really cool. Now they can be expensive to get started. You have a lot of upfront cost and they do require regular maintenance because all the tubes and the heads and some of the other mechanics um, can get clogged up and they degrade in the elements. Soaker hoses can be a less expensive alternative to drip irrigation. They function pretty similarly. Um, they are porous tubes that look like a regular garden hose, except um, they weep or leach water all along the length of the hose. They're pretty good for small gardens and they're inexpensive compared to um, sprinkler systems or drip irrigation systems. And they're easy to install. You just hook them up to your water faucet. They don't tend to clog and they're easy to place around your beds. The downside is, is they're not as precise than a drip irrigation system. And there's no way that you'll be able to water by zones. They also degrade in the elements, just like the drip irrigation system. And if a soaker hose gets damaged, it's more difficult to repair. Um, probably the biggest downside to a soaker hose is that they aren't customizable. You get one length, whatever length that you buy, you get that length. Maybe it's too short for what you need. Maybe it's too long. Who knows? It actually could work out and it could be perfect, but there's one other option. If you are looking to improve your water efficiency, Olias, O-L-L-A-S. Olias are another wonderful option for your beds that require even less effort. I love them. Olias are unglazed clay vessels. Um, they were traditionally used for cooking and storage, but they were also used for irrigation. The word olia is Latin for pot or jar. Olias have been used in the garden uh, really since ancient times. There was like a Celtic god, used all over the world for a really long time. There was a Celtic god of, ar of agriculture who's always shown holding a mallet and an olia. And the Native Americans also used ol olias too. Olias used for gardening are basically urns that don't have handles. Garden olias look a whole lot like oversized terracotta light bulbs um, that have lids. Olias 
are buried deeply into the soil with only the opening slightly above the soil line. So you take your light bulb, you turn it upside down so that the hole is at the top and you bury everything up to the opening. And then plants and seeds are placed all around the olea. You fill it up and you put your lid on. As the plants grow, the roots grow towards and around the olea. Since oleas are not glazed or sealed, the water slowly seeps through soil moisture tension. When the soil is dry, the water is pulled out. When the soil is moist, the water stays in the olea until it's needed, so it's like a little reservoir. Plants are never overwatered or underwatered. Oleas are great because they conserve water because um, they water from underground. And thanks to the self-watering nature of the olea through that soil moisture tension, you don't have to water as often. And depending on the water, uh, the weather conditions, watering can, you can reduce your watering time by up to half. So if you normally water twice a week, you may only need to refill your olea once a week. All oleas are basically the same. They are made of clay and they have to be unglazed. They need a lid. This is going to help prevent evaporation from the top, but it also helps keep trash and debris out of it. And it also keeps, um, critters like toads and slugs and mosquitoes from getting in. So you definitely want one that has a lid. Now you're not going to be able to really find an olea at any of the chain stores in the garden centers. You might find them at, um, local nurseries, independent nurseries. You can find them online. Um, but you can also have them custom made. Like if you have a, if you know somebody that does pottery, um, we have a pottery business here in Taylor, and I ordered two oleas from our local potter. I just love them. I showed her a picture of what I wanted, and she made them for me. She even stamped the lid with our last name, and she put a cool handle on the top of it. There are also um, instructions online that you can make um, an olea from like a regular clay pot. So you can just go out there and Google DIY oleas. They'll pull up some information on that. I really like my oleas. Um, you know, with this intensity of heat that we're going through right now, I'm doing both. I'm watering from the top, but I'm also filling the oleas. And it's just like a nice peace of mind for me knowing that if I miss a day, the beds that have the oleas will still get some water or at least they should anyway all right well thank you guys again for joining me today i did just look at the forecast for this week and looks like another long week of extremely high and gross temperatures all right take care <laughs>
Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.